Shalom. Today is August 15th, 2010. We are concluding our study on tradition. This is lesson 8, the final lesson. I hope that this uh, study has been beneficial for you. Let's open in prayer. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave to us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. So Exodus 12, verses 1 through 6 and verses 14 through 18. Now Adonai spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to, the, to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you may take it from the sheep, or from the goats. Now until you keep it, now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the first month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. So this day shall be a, for you a memorial. You shall keep it as a feast to Adonai throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day. You shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leaven, bread, from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. On the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No matter of work, no manner of work shall be done on them. But that which every, but that which everyone must eat, not only may be prepared by you. So you shall be, so you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this same day, I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the fourteenth day, on the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. Exodus twelve one through six and verses fourteen through eighteen. We can see that uh, this is a very, very important determination. Uh, it appears that everything is based upon this determining this month when Passover should occur. And so that's the uh, focus of our study this, this week. We've concluded in all of our studies so far the importance uh, of seeing the Torah to be lived in a community. And as a community uh, expression... Uh, in personal obedience to God, in a community, and in the reflection of having to uh, deal with one another, loving one another, in the terms that God has uh, given us, 
is the important part. Uh, although sometimes we might be uh, required to live out uh, a time of our life in solitude or alone uh, by circumstances, that was not the design of God. Uh, the Torah was given to Israel as a people, as a nation, for individuals to live obediently and in the context of being a part of a greater uh, a greater unity that is a community the community we are speaking of can be nothing other than the community of the people of Israel some questions asked as we start our study again we won't answer all these questions but they're questions that come to light and might help us to determine uh, what it is that's important about what we're reading uh, is there some magical thing about memorializing any given feast day, any holy day of scripture? Or is it that the Lord simply wants us to keep his instructions in obedience? Do we celebrate a messianic Passover uh, on the evening before the first day of unleavened bread, the evening of Nisan 14, or should it be in the evening before Nisan 13, like John 13.1 and John 19.14 seem to indicate? What about resurrection day? Should it always fall on a Sunday? Shouldn't we be doing our observations vis- visibly with our eyes seeing a new moon, looking for a crescent instead of simply looking at a calendar? Uh, like I say, this are, these are not questions we may answer uh, today in the study, but these are questions that are important in, in, our, in our living out the instructions of uh, our eternal God. Throughout history, there's been con- uh, a confusion of dates. Uh, if you're, if you're uh, new to Messianic Judaism, you may, may not be aware, even if you aren't uh, new, you may not be aware of, a, of controversy regarding what day is Passover. Uh, rarely will you find anyone having controversy over which day is Shabbat or the seventh day, and the reason why is because the Shabbat, having kept, been kept for at least uh, 3,500 years, uh, week to week, although some might forget, the Jewish people never forgot, and we have a clear evidence and clear record that the day, the seventh day, uh, remains the seventh day and has been uh, throughout history. However, how can we determine which day is the first day of the first month, uh, as it were, or the uh, or what's called the month of Nisan or the month of Aviv? There's been confusion on which is which. How do we determine? And the reason that there's been confusion in some camps uh, about the new moon, specifically because that's how we determine when the month begins, and the holy date dates is by design. It, is desi- it has been by design of the enemy. He's longed to confuse our dates, and he has worked tirelessly to confuse the dates, but not by conspiracy theories or, or, uh, or subversion from, from people, but he simply wants us not to agree. What are the dates? He wants division. That's the enemy's job, and that's what he's done since the beginning. Go, go to Ezra chapter 4, verse 4. This occurs after the Babylonian captivity. The children of Israel had been disobedient to God. They had not kept a record of the years, and not kept the rest for the land as it's recorded in Second Chronicles. And we know that because of that, God withdrew them from the land so that the land could have its rests. 
the Shemitah year, the sab- sabbatical years for the for the land. Every seventh year, the land was to lie fallow and not be not be uh, um, used for crops. Uh, Seventy of those had been missed. Period of four hundred ninety years, and so God took them out of the land for each year that they had not obeyed Him. They spent in captivity in Babylon for seventy years, as is recorded uh, in the books of Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel. After uh, the seventy years are complete, we read in uh, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah how the children of Israel return to the land and and reestablish themselves. This uh, five hundred, almost five hundred years before the birth of Messiah. So, in the, when Ezra began. Uh, his work in the land, in, uh, in le- providing leadership, in the rebuilding of Jerusalem, there was conflict. There was confusion. Ezra chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. In the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. Who are these people? Who are these people of the land? As Israel was taken out, as the the tribes uh, were, were taken out through the conquering of the southern kingdom of Judah, who filled in the gaps? Who filled in the, uh, the empty space that remained? Those that had been transported and brought by uh, the Assyrians a hundred years before. And we read about them in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, speaking of the Jews rebuilding uh, in Ezra and Nehemiah's day, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heap of rubbish? Stones that are burned? Now Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him and he said, whatever they build... Even a fox goes up in it, and he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads, and give them as plunder to the land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity, and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together, up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Samblat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard the walls of Jerusalem being restored and the gaps were being closed. They became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. We read that uh, Nehemiah's response to uh, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites, the uh, uh, Samaritans and the Arabs. What was his response in, in Nehemiah 2.20? So I answered them and I said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right of memorial in Jerusalem. It's like a replay of today. It's a replay of, of what we see evidenced in uh, in the land of Israel today where uh, people are saying that the Jews have no right to build 
on the Temple Mount. They have no right to build in Judea, in Samaria. And uh, who are these people, those usurpers that stand in the way? It's the same people that stood in the way 2,500 years ago. It's the same people that oppose the very purpose and presence of the Almighty in the land. Go to John 4, 19. John 4, 19. And I'll read uh, 19 verses uh, 4, 19 through 24. Uh, this is uh, when Yeshua is passing through Samaria on the way to Jerusalem. The easiest and quickest way from Galilee to Jerusalem was to pass through uh, what is today known as uh, the West Bank, Judea, Samaria. The Samaritans, these same usurpers, these same, uh, these same people who had no right to the land, uh, living in this, uh, in this space of land uh, for the previous 500 years, uh, were still occupying there, claiming that they had a right, that their method of worship on Mount Gerizim uh, was the true method of worship, and that the Jews worshiping in Jerusalem were wrong and, and in error. And Yeshua there meets the woman at the well. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Yeshua said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountainside nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. And the hour, by the way, your translation may say but, providing a contrast between verses 22 and 23. The Greek word uh, provides for not contrast but parallelism. And the hour is coming and is now when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Lastly, go to Matthew 23, verses 1 through 3. Then Yeshua spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works. For they say, and they do not do. Salvation is of the Jews. Jewish place and Jewish method is endorsed by Yeshua. But those that oppose are doing the bidding of the enemy. Those that oppose are bringing confusion into the worship of the Almighty. Particularly in this subject, on the, on the uh, confusion of dates. The Talmud records in uh, uh, Betzah 4b, Rabbi Zera said, Logic supports Rabbi Asi, for we are now well acquainted with the fixing of the new moon, and, no, and nevertheless, we do observe two days, speaking about the fact that, as you said, know, sometimes on your calendar you say two days for Rosh Hashanah, uh, two days for uh, um, Shavuot. Uh, he's explaining why that, hap- why that has occurred. Abaya said, Logic supports Rav, for we have learned in t- early times they used to light bonfires, but on account of the mischief of the Samaritans, the rabbis ador- ordained that messengers should go forth. Now, if the mischief of the Samaritans ceased, we would all observe only one day, and even during the Samaritan mischief, whenever the messengers arrived, they observed only one day. But now that we are well acquainted with the fixing of the new moon, why do you observe 
two days, because they sent word from there, the land of Israel, giving heed to the customs of your ancestors, which you have come down to you. For it might happen that the government might issue a decree, and it would cause confusion and ritual. It's explaining that the reason why we use two days is because uh, there were there were delays in sending out from the land of Israel that uh, the new moon had been sighted, and that was being caused because there was confusion in the determination of the new moon because they were lighting bonfires to intercept the normal bonfires of the messengers that would say the moon, new moon had been sighted. Uh, the sightings were taking place in Galilee and they taking place in Jerusalem, and there was being a uh, an amalgamation or a determination uh, by the Sanhedrin whether the new moon existed or not. And it was being delayed. That's why it was being delayed for two days. Those of you who have been to the land of Israel know that uh, even though you may have ten, two days for certain feasts in the diaspora, in the land of Israel it's only one day. There's only one day for Rosh Hashanah, uh, Yom Teruah. There's only one day for uh, Shavuot. And other days are confined to one day. Whereas in the diaspora, many uh, celebrate two days. Uh, the reason being, of course, uh, going back to this tradition. Uh, it's important to note from uh, Betza that it uh, he makes reference to a uh, a fixing of the new moon. It's interesting because if you uh, do some looking on the internet and reading a number of books on the on the on the concept of uh, the the Hebrew calendar, you're going to find uh, 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 opinions that say that the fixing of the or the fixing of the calendar or the calculated calendar has been around only since the uh, since uh, 900 of the Common Era, uh, whereas uh, Tradition that uh, the historical tradition is that uh, that the that the calculated calendar uh, began to be uh, was ordained in 358 uh, by the Sanhedrin and in use since then um, and people want to debate that uh, this is from the time of the Talmud which actually tells that the fixing of the calendar actually was much earlier that using a fixed and calculated calendar was something even earlier the days of Rabbi Zera and Rabbi Asi. The, the point that we're trying to make in this idea of the history of date confusion is that, that uh, this is not something new. That confusing of the dates uh, that we see in Messianic Judaism today is something that's been around for a long time. In, in, uh, in 760 of the Common Era, Anand ben David began the Karite sect of Judaism. And he began it in a very, uh, in a very uh, um, interesting way. Uh, the... Uh, the uh, um, uh, uh, the leader of the community of uh, in exile, um, the exile community leader, uh, between the head of the academies, there was a civil uh, leader as well, and the civil leader was used, was was chosen from uh, uh, a descendant of the uh, uh, of David, of King David, and uh, hence we have Anan ben David, who was a descendant of King David who was not in line to be next leader when the previous leader pa- passed away, but his brother was. When his brother Josiah became the leader, uh, Anan uh, uh, tried to usurp him and successfully usurped him. And the, ca- uh, the caliph of, uh, in Babylon uh, had him jailed because it was seen as a, an affront because uh, the normal process uh, that Jews were using was endorsed by the, uh, by the Muslim uh, overlords uh, in Babylon. And, and hence they jailed him and condemned him to death. While he was in prison, he, uh, 
he learned that his best escape from the death penalty would be to claim that, uh, that he was not Jewish at all, but that he was the practitioner of another religion. And so upon, uh, upon uh, being released for trial, he made the case, and successful case, that he, was the, uh, that he was a follower of another religion other than Judaism. So henceforth, he created a, a, uh, an anti-Judaism, as it were. Anything that Judaism said, they said the opposite. Uh, Judaism went with, uh, believed that the Torah contained an oral Torah as well. They were against the oral Torah. For this reason, Messianics, some Messianics have found some affinity with the Karite sect. Uh, and uh, I would simply remind people that the Karaites are not friends of Messianics who believe in Yeshua. They may propose to, but it's only because they so despise what they call rabbinic Judaism that they find an affinity then or a camaraderie with others who have a similar uh, 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 bent or uh, uh, a similar desire to oppose what they call rabbinic Judaism. Uh, Karite Judaism then came uh, uh, from this man, Anand ben David, and uh, it, it, it was essentially uh, stamped out within a within 100, 200 years. Uh, it re- regained popularity at various points throughout history, uh, very small, I shouldn't say popularity, but it regained some numbers again throughout history. Uh, Currently, there are very, there's a very small group of Karaites living in the land of Israel, uh, essentially um, shunned by um, other uh, within the Orthodox community in Israel. Uh, Anand ben David wrote his book Sefer Habitzvot, which is the bo- his book of the commandments, uh, and basically took the theological positions of the Essenes of the first century and the Sadducees. Again, we recognize the Sadducees being the enemies of the followers of Yeshua. Uh, the enemies not only of Pharisite Judaism, Pharisite Judaism, but also of the followers of Yeshua. Uh, that the Sadducees were the primary um, persecutors of the apostles after the death and resurrection of Messiah. The Essenes, of course, who uh, at least uh, from our understanding historically, were driven out of or left them of their own volition. Judaism and went into the wilderness to practice a, a different variation because they believed that the calendar, among other things, was incorrect. So therefore, we see that Karite Judaism has adopted some of their theological positions. Rejecting, uh, rejecting Judaism's dates, uh, holy dates, was, is a key tenet of Karite Judaism. Uh, opponents of Judaism's... Um, uh, dates for holy days rely mainly upon the Karite positions and also some worldwide Church of God's dogma uh, in modern times. And is what's often uh, presented is, is is a conspiracy theory that Jews have obscured that specifically rabbinic Jews have obscured the actual dates of Hashem's feasts. But this isn't new, as we see it's old. It's very old. It's been from the beginning, and it's absolutely false. Let's go into the tradition. Uh, where Rabbinic Judaism, as it's called, where Rabbinic Judaism gets the traditions of keeping the dates, where does it come from? The Julian calendar, which came into existence uh, before, just before the, uh, the, uh, the birth of Messiah, uh, Julius Caesar enacted it, uh, it accumulated error. It was not a very accurate calendar. And, and within 1,200 years, when it was officially, uh, from the date that it was officially uh, 
made the church calendar in uh, in the Council of Nicaea in 325 of the Common Era until it was until it was replaced with the Gregorian calendar in the 16th century. In 1,200 years, it had accumulated in an era of 10 days. The resetting of the dates to the more accurate Gregorian calendar gives people this false impression that the calendars are all a mess and ancients had no idea how to calculate things like the rotation of the earth and the relationship of the rotation of the moon. Uh, this is all false, uh, a false notion. Uh, the fact that these ancient calendars uh, uh, may or may not have been accurate has less to do with math and more to do with the pride and the arrogance of the leader that enacted it. The problem as it relates to scripture is this. We're told that Passover has to occur in the springtime. We're told specifically that it has to do with the, with the harvest time. Unlike the Muslim calendar, which, uh, which, uh, is solely lunar and, and, uh, rotates, uh, is off by 11 days, uh, it, it, every, every year, year, um, we, we see that the uh, biblical calendar is a solar lunar calendar, that it does have a reflection of the solar, and the solar is based on season. So it's a lunar cal- calendar that is adjusted for the seasons. How do we adjust the difference between uh, the, um, the lunar calendar and the uh, solar calendar? How does the Bible tell us to adjust this? Should, sh- how should we relate the springtime to the lunar calendar specifically? Now, how should the solar and the lunar cycles be oriented? They're unrelated, it appears. Now, in ancient times past, some believe that uh, maybe the lunar, lunar and the solar calendars were somehow more aligned and that the difference, the 11... Uh, uh, the eleven day difference uh, um, at the end of every year between the lo- lunar and the solar calendar uh, didn 't exist, regardless today we 're still faced with the same problem. How do we resolve that a lunar calendar must be somehow uh, intercalated uh, with a solar calendar by season? The interrelationship by the way between uh, solar and uh, and lunar is called intercalating. Regardless of what method you fall, what, what method you follow uh, to uh, determine, uh, first of all, the new moon or uh, the first day of Nisan uh, or Aviv to determine the dates for Passover and all the subsequent dates for the holy days of, of Leviticus 23, regardless of what way you, uh, what method you use, you must do some sort of intercalating. You have to have some way to adjust the lunar calendar to the seasons. Somewhere in a 19-year cycle, you have to adjust it. There's no avoiding it. There's a, there's a conspiracy theory out there that calls rabbinic postponements uh, basically a, a, a conspiracy to hide the holy days of Hashem. This is not true. Rabbinic postponements as they're called, are completely about trying to align the biblical mandates that the lunar, that the new moon, and all of the holy days that follow the first of Aviv or the first of Nisan, that somehow that they are consistent with that uh, springtime mandate and to somehow align and to keep them aligned. The postponements take into effect 
the, the Sabbath. They have a respect not only for the, for the days of Leviticus 23 that are holy days, days of convocation, but also for the, for the Sabbath itself. To reiterate, though, to align the lunar and solar cycles requires some sort of intercalating. There's a, there's a cycle called the metonic cycle that's been known since, since uh, ancient antiquity. And it's a, it's a mathematical formula to uh, align lunar and solar years. It's very ancient. We know that it's documented as far back as the 5th century BC, and it's extremely accurate. It is accurate so that within a 19-year cycle, we can predict we can predict the astronomical new moon every time without fail. The metonic cycle is, as I say, very ancient. It was well known in the time of Ezra, Nehemiah, and certainly by the time of the first century. Determining the dates of the first of Nisan, or Aviv, and every holy feast day for that year is essentially divided into three periods. Knowing how it was done in the, in the, uh, among the people of Israel is divided into three periods. Prior to the second temple, during the second temple period, which I would include also um, that time uh, uh, after the destruction, uh, up through the Talmudic age, and then lastly, the post-Talmudic era. So three, three periods um, it, to go through in order to see how the people of God, uh, Israel, determined the new moon and also then uh, the Passover and the dates that follow. Let's start with the prior to the second temple period. When we read the Torah, we're simply told uh, about beginning Passover uh, in the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight. Uh, we're not told that, we're told that Aviv should be the first of months. Uh, later on, we're told that the month of Aviv, yeah, uh, it, using its, its uh, Babylonian name after the captivity, uh, uh, Nisan, uh, whatever you call it, uh, the Bible contains both names. The Torah simply calls it Aviv. Uh, it, it appears, however, throughout the Torah, and even it appears even in the uh, in the writings and the prophets, that there's no there's no uh, method of intercalation, uh, that there's no way for adjusting the uh, the lunar to the solar for that extra eleven days that takes place uh, between the lunar and the solar. The, the, how, how should we have a should we have an a uh, an, an extra month occasionally as, as is practiced uh, um, it, using the calculated calendar. Uh, the time prior to the second temple, we're not told. The scriptures are apparently silent. But are they? Turn with me to 1 Kings 13.1. Another method of delay or, con- or Another method of confusing the dates is given here. We know that when the kingdom split after the death of Solomon, uh, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, Jeroboam was, was very concerned that the people in the ten tribes that he governed, that way they were going down to the south, to Jerusalem, where, where God's name had been placed, where the temple, uh, the holy temple had been built by uh, Solomon, and that the people were going down there three times a year. He was concerned because it was, uh, he was sought as, a, as an affront to his kingship, uh, they were leaving his 
authority and going under another. Henceforth, he declared, uh, he set up a new uh, temple, as it were, in uh, in, in Samaria and, and in Don, and he uh, erected an altar and an idol and all the things that go with it. Well, one other thing that he did was he changed the dates. First Kings chapter 13, verse 1. So he, speaking of Jeroboam, made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel in the 15th day of the 8th month. In the month in which he had devised in his own heart, he ordained a feast to the children of Israel and, offer, and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. The 15th day of the 8th month. When does Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, begin? It begins on the 15th day of the 7th month. So what was he doing? He was doing a delay. How do we delay? Now, we're going to find as we work through all of these things that there's a postponement up to, but no more than 30 days with regard to uh, adjusting the, the calendar, intercalation. So he is actually doing an intercalation of his own determination here. He's saying, you know, the Sukkot, we miscalculated it. They miscalculated it down there in, in Judah. We calculated it correctly. And it just so happens to be that you're off a month. Sounds like uh, Messianic Judaism today, where we have some groups saying, oh, well, you, uh, you celebrate the Passover based on the rabbinic calendar, whereas we celebrate it based on the observed calendar, which is biblical. Which is biblical. Well, here we see that there was, it appears to be some sort of intercalation going on in the time before the Second Temple. Or this would have been the Second Temple period itself. But but certainly it had something that existed before, uh, uh, before the Second Temple. Turn with me to First uh, uh, Samuel 20, verse 5. And David said to Jonathan, Indeed, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat, but let me go that I might hide in the field until the third day at evening. And then later on we read where David shows up for the new moon celebration with uh, Saul and his family. How did David know that it was that tomorrow would be the new moon? Did he look up and see a dark, covered moon and say, okay, well, tomorrow will be a sliver? That's not valid according to the people who believe in, a, in, a, in an observed new moon. So here we see a hint that a computed, a computed method for determining the new moon was somehow in place in the time before, prior to the Second Temple period. And, and this, this hint of the computed method existed 3,500, or excuse me, 50, 1,350 years before the computation Hillel II calendar, as it's called. During the Second Temple, how was it done? In the first century, the Sanhedrin used various methods to compute the first day of the month of Nisan. The Talmud records uh, their methods. Uh, there is a belief that their methods were primarily calculate, uh, calculated and then backed up with observation. Regardless of whether one holds that or not, we know that the sages, because the record of the Talmud is very clear, that they were uh, that certain of them had uh, had extensive background uh, in astronomy and that they understood the math involved necessary to make an intercalation between the solar and the lunar months, or the solar and the lunar years. Regardless, they backed up those calculations with observations of the new moon following the spring equinox. 
by the way, to know the spring equinox, they would have to know the uh, the uh, computations necessary and the astronomy necessary to determine the spring equinox. Go to Rosh Hashanah. Go to Rosh Hashanah. Uh, um, uh, excuse me, the Mishnah for Rosh Hashanah. 3.1, if you have a Jacob's Neusner translation, uh, Rosh Hashanah 3.1 says, If the courts of all the Israelites saw the new moon, the witnesses having been examined, but they had no chance to say it is sanctified before it actually got dark, lo, this month coming to an end is an intercalated month. If the court alone saw it, let two of them get up and give testimony, testimony before the rest of them, and they should say it is sanctified, it is sanctified, speaking of the new moon. If three of them saw it, and they already are a court. Let two of them arise and let them and let them seat some of their colleagues with the remaining judge and give testimony before them, so that they might say it is sanctified. It is sanctified. For an individual is not regarded trustworthy by himself to pronounce the sanctification of the moon. An important thing to note in uh, the Talmud is that the observation of the moon is not an individual's duty, nor is it accepted for an individual, but rather that it was something that individuals were encouraged to do, but the Sanhedrin alone would rule on whether the moon was sanctified or set apart for the new moon or not. In uh, Sanhedrin uh, 11b of the Babylonian Talmud, our rabbis taught a year may be intercalated on three grounds. On account of a premature state of the corn crops, and it's not speaking specifically about barley, there was no corn in the land, or that of the fruit trees, or on account of the lateness of uh, tekufa, that is the spring equinox. Any two of these reasons can justify intercalation, but not one alone. All, however, are glad when the state of the spring crops, crops is one of them. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel says, on account of the lateness of Tekufa, that's the spring equinox, the schoolman inquired, did he mean that account of the lateness of Tekufa being one of the two reasons they rejoice, or that the lateness of Tekufa alone was adequate reason for intercalating the year? The question remains undecided. Our rabbis taught, the grain and the fruit of the following three regions are taken up for this as for the standard for deciding the declaration of the leap year, Judea, Transjordania, and Galilee, the requirements of the two of these regions might determine the intercalation, but not those of a single one. All, however, were glad when one of these two was Judea, because of the barley for the omer was obtained by preference in Judea. Our rabbis taught the intercalation of a year may be affected by the Bet-Din only in Judea, for if, by, for if some reason it had been decided upon by the Bet-Din in Galilee, the decision holds good. Hananiah of Oni, however, testified, if the intercalation was decided upon in Galilee, it is not valid. Rabbi Judah, the son of Rabbi ben, uh, Shimon ben Pazi, said, asked, what is the reason for the view of Hananiah of Oni? The scripture states, unto his habitation shall ye seek, and thither thou shalt come. Whatever search you have made shall be only in the habitation of Hashem. Our rabbis taught, a leap year is to be declared only by day, and if it has been declared by night, the declaration is invalid. The sanctification of a month is to be performed by day, and if it has been performed by night, is not valid. Rabbi Abba says, what passage proves this? And he quotes then from uh, Psalm 81, Blow the horn at the new moon, at the covering of the moon of our feast day. Now on which feast is the moon covered? We must say in the new year. And it is stri- thereupon written, It is a statute for Israel, a judgment of God of Jacob. Just as a judgment is executed by day, so also it must be the sanctification of the moon take month be taken place by day. 
from this we see that the sages uh, um, um, uh, were, were not 100% uh, uh, in agreement on, on the method uh, on postponement, on intercalation. Um, it wasn't universally accepted. Uh, Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel, a first century sage, thought that just the lateness of the vernal equinox was enough to intercalate and delay Passover. Um, uh, we, we see that the official reasons for delaying Passover as, as the month of Nisan approached, the official reasons for delaying Passover, which would be two weeks later, were that the barley grain, first of all, they had to see that the barley grain was not, was, was not ripe, uh, that the fruit was not on, that the fruit on the trees was not ripe, and that the vernal equinox had not occurred. And at least two of these things were required. Uh, so it's not just one; it's it's two of these things were required uh, for them to uh, uh, um, put a postponement in, in order to delay it 30 days, to delay the pass the beginning of Nisan for 30 days. As we have said, the uh, the fact is that you had to do some sort of intercalating. Uh, at least uh, sometimes during a 19-year cycle. Otherwise, the, uh, the new moon would be off-cycle from the spring season and necessary for keeping Passover in the spring. Uh, the fact is, you have to do it seven times in 19, in 19 years. You have to. It has to happen. Uh, to, to, uh, to assume that the Talmudic method was solely by observation uh, Makes it think makes it sound like it was just by the luck of a draw. You ended up with seven times out of nineteen that they actually delayed uh, thirty days and therefore kept it in the springtime. And the fact is, we have we have record that they did not. That it was fairly regular. They delayed it for other reasons that are that are that are should be obvious for us as well. Uh, they delayed it. Uh, for, for reasons like uh, time to travel for Passover, the condition of the roads, were the roads in bad condition? After all, if pilgrims couldn't get to Jerusalem for Passover, they should delay it for a month. Um, other things like, like the weather conditions uh, was necessary to make a determine whether they should delay Passover for a month. Who decided? It was the Sanhedrin that decided. What did they decide upon? They decided upon their observations, the new moon, uh, yes, but also upon the calculations, knowing that they would have to do this at least seven times in a 19-year cycle, that they would have to delay it seven, uh, 30 days, thereby what we know today as giving us the month of Adar too, extending the year for another 30 days. Uh, like we say, it wasn't a universal, uh, universally accepted. There was still debate within the first century as to, as to how you should do it, how often you should do it, by what method it should be done. There seemed to be, by the time of the Mishnah, at least the, the agreement that it should be two of three. Uh, the barley grain was ripe, uh, the fruit from the trees was ripe, and the vernal equinox had occurred not to, to delay Passover for that year. It's interesting that Rosh Hashanah uh, uh, 25a gives us the uh, and and as, and, and, as, and also uh, uh, Sanhedrin 11b, which we just read from, gives us this idea that from Psalm 81 that the that the new moon uh, that w- that it should be uh, blotted out or covered to determine the new moon. If you go to uh, if if you have a, a Babylonian Talmud in Rosh Hashanah uh, 25a. It says this, Rabbi Hia once saw the old moon in the heavens on the morning of the 29th day. Okay, to see the old moon, uh, one would assume that he's seeing a sliver then of the old moon, the previous moon. 
because he, listen to what it says. He took a clod of earth and threw it at it, saying, Tonight we want to sanctify you, in other words, to declare the new moon, and you are still here. Go and hide yourself. This is consistent with Sanhedrin 11b. The notion that, that, uh, that, it, that it was universally accepted that a crescent, and not a totally dark moon, was the declaration of the new moon, is not, is not consistent in the Talmud. The Talmud tells us both. And here, as well as Sanhedrin 11b, we see that the, that the new moon is being declared by nothing visible versus a crescent. In more ancient times, before they could do calculations, it's true that a crescent might have been something that, that, uh, that was necessary to determine whether there was a new moon or not. However, we've, we've, uh, we've, we've already demonstrated that as early as 500 before the Common Era, that calculation necessary, the intercalation necessary, accurate formula, the metonic cycle, the accurate formula for, for aligning the lunar calendar with the solar calendar already was known. And we also have uh, hopefully shown that as early as 1000 before the Common Era, that there was some method of calculating the new moon because David knew that the next day would be the new moon. There, this, uh, this, uh, the, 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 uh, the rabbinic uh, Talmudic uh, view of Psalm 81 is interesting because it, it uses a, um, it, it, it treats the, the delimiters of a month from one conjunction of the moon to the next. In other words, once the moon is black until the moon is totally dark again, that would, those were the delimiters for the month. And the reason why that they does in Rosh Hashanah 25a and also in Sanhedrin 11b is because the, the use of the word molad. In fact, in the New King James, or excuse me, in the King James, uh, it's, it says instead of the full moon as it reads in some versions, it says the, it says the appointed time. Molad, it's being seen as a, uh, um, in, incorrectly viewed as uh, a times, the appointed time. However, the word uh, in Psalm 81.3 Molad, uh, uh, it, it comes from the uh, yelad, or like as in having children, to give birth. Because it's, uh, you could only determine full days, you could only use full days to, be, to, be con- to consider the new moon. Uh, some months were observed to be 30 days long, they were malel, they're full, and others were considered to be 29 days long, they were defective or chaser. So we have a 30 day long month, a full month, or we have a defective month, a 29 day month. And a full moon, uh, or excuse me, a completely dark moon is considered molah, covered. That's the new moon, as the sages in Rosh Hashanah 25a consider a new moon as a covered moon. Um, in post-Talmudic times, uh, uh, would have been uh, uh, really after the period of approximately 500 of the Common Era, um, the, the calendar has been pre-calculated, uh, predetermined. Uh, rules of postponements that that, that take uh, that allow Shabbat to take precedence in some cases are are there, but generally it follows. Generally, the new moon follows uh, on the calendar follows the astrono- uh, a- a- astronomical new moon as well, considered a dark moon. It is said that the la- one of the last acts of the Sanhedrin, the constituted Sanhedrin in, in 358 of the Common Era, was to adopt what's called the Halil II calendar. Now, uh, this calendar is the computational calendar that is 
that it's in its essence is used today in determining the intercalation between solar and lunar years. Now, what we've what we've seen in, so far in all of this is that there's obviously room for debate because this, it doesn't seem like anything anybody's basing much on scripture. Uh, that there, that there, it's all a matter of how it works, uh, determining the new moon on the basis of people that see it in Judea and Galilee. Well, the Torah never mentions that. Uh, that they, uh, that they, uh, transmit that by bonfire. Well, the Torah never mentions that. the Sanhedrin gets together and decides, yes, this is the new moon, it's sanctified, it's sanctified. Well, the Torah never mentions that, does it? So we are left, are we left in this milieu of tradition that has no foundation in scripture? What does scripture really say about sanctifying the new moon? If we know what it says about sanctifying the moon, guarding it as guarding Nisan, uh, Aviv, the first month, so that we know when to determine Passover, then we can know all the other feast days. To know the new moon of the first month is what matters most. What does scripture say? about defining or observing the new moon. It's clear that scripture defines time by years, those are solar, by months, those are lunar, and days, those are terrestrial, that is the rotation of the earth from sunset to sunset. The basis for determining Passover, however, is to be based on the determination of the new moon, the Rosh Chodesh, the head of the renewed for the first month, which takes place in the springtime, when the shoots are green. These are passages that we did in our, in our homework, in the workbook, that contain the word Chodesh, which again comes from a root which means to be renewed or to make new. Rosh Chodesh, the first of, the head of, the renewed or the new. That's where we get the new month. This is very distinctive from the month or the moon word, which are not found in these passages. Genesis 7.11 and Genesis 8.4. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, that's the word Chodesh, the seventh day of the month, Chodesh, on the day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. Genesis 8.4. The ark rested in the seventh month, Chodesh, the seventeenth day of the month, Chodesh, on the mountains of Ararat. So here we have the word Chodesh is being translated as month in English. It's talking about dating, counting days from the new moon. Genesis Excuse me, 1 Samuel 25 and 20, uh, 1 Samuel 20, 24, we read, we read the first one already. And David said to Jonathan, indeed, tomorrow is the new moon and I should not fail to sit with the, ki- with the king to eat. But let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. And then 1 Samuel 20, verse 24, then David hid in the field and when the new moon had come, the, the king sat down to eat the feast. How did they know? How did David know when the new moon would come? if it wasn't yet visible. It couldn't have been an observed crescent. It couldn't have been that it was totally dark, that he would know tomorrow would be the crescent. That's like proving a negative. How did David know? We, we can determine that it's very likely that there was some sort of computational method to know that the new month, that the new moon was about to occur.
the next day. Do the scriptures contain a command to observe the new moon? I, I, I mentioned this in the workbook. It's, it's uh, ever so often because Brian's online, because I remind people uh, the, the approach of the new moon, and I use the uh, what's known as the Hillel 2 calendar to determine that the new moon is approaching uh, so that they can recognize and keep the commandments regarding the new moon. I'm oftentimes... Uh, uh, sent emails where people inquire, what method am I using to determine the new moon? And am I not aware that the new moon has not yet been sighted so that I can, cannot give that, uh, that uh, such a, uh, a uh, reminder? Of course, uh, I oftentimes uh, ask questions that come from those questions, uh, questions such as, where in the scripture is there a commandment to observe the new moon? Let's see, is there a commandment to observe the new moon? And I gave you a list of all of the scriptures that contain the word, the word Chodesh. All of them. And then we looked for the, if there was a commandment that was associated. And we listed what we found. The first one that we looked at was Exodus 12.3. Of course, we looked at Genesis already and uh, 1 Samuel. But Exodus 12.3 is the first one that commands, contains a commandment. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Here we see there's a commandment given at the month, after the month already began. But look at what it says. Speak to the children of Israel, the congregation, saying, On the tenth, month of, tenth of this month, so the month had already taken place. How did they know? How did they say, well, when was the new moon? Apparently they had already had a practice of keeping track of when the new moon occurred. Because they would already know to count ten days from then. So it's not something that began right then. But what is the commandment? That on the tenth they should take a lamb. Exodus 13.5 And it shall be when Hashem brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. You shall keep this service in this month. Keep. Guard. Shamar. You shall keep this service. What's the commandment here? To keep this. What? The Passover. In this month. To observe it. Does it contain the word observe? To cite it with the eye. No it doesn't. Is there a commandment to see the crescent? No, it doesn't say that. What does it say? Guard it. Keep it. Numbers 28.11 At the beginning of your month, this is verses 11 through 14, at the beginnings of your month, months, you shall present a burnt offering to Adonai, two young bulls, one ram and seven lambs, in their first year without blemish, three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with oil, uh, for each bowl, two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with oil for the one ram and one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour uh, mixed with oil as a grain offering for each lamb as a burnt offering of a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to Adonai. Their drink offering shall be a half a hin of uh, wine for a bowl and one-third of a hin of, ra- of, of a ram and one-fourth of a hin, uh, excuse me, for a ram and one-fourth of a hin for a lamb, this is the burnt offering for each month throughout the months of the year. This is the, first, this is the new moon offering is what it's speaking about. Numbers 28, what is the command? We're supposed to bring a new moon offering. We can't without there being a temple. But that's the commandment. When the temple is rebuilt, 
God willing, soon in our days, we will see that the new moon is being, this commandment for the new moon is being kept. When do you think they'll keep it? More, more uh, uh, to the point, though, in Numbers 28, is there any mention of a crescent or observing it with the eye? Deuteronomy 16, 1. In English it says, Observe the month of Aviv and keep the Passover to Adonai your God. In the month of Aviv, Adonai your God brought you out of Egypt by night. One might think that observe means to seed it, to sight it. But that's not the word in Hebrew, it's shamar, which means to guard it, to keep it. Is there any mention? Is there any commandment? To observe a crescent with the eye. Psalms 81, 3-4. And I'll read from the King James, because I believe the King James is more accurately, and certainly in, in agreement with the, uh, the Talmud on translated uh, uh, Molad. Blow the trumpet in the new moon, in the time appointed, on our solemn feast, for this is a statute of Israel, and a law of the God of Jacob. It's not speaking about a full moon, as uh, some translations use, but a new moon, a covered moon. And what day is... What day uh, is there a covered moon on the solemn feast day? The Talmud tells us, reminds us, do you know the Torah? What day is it speaking about to blow the trumpet? On the new moon, on the appointed time, the covered moon, a solemn feast day. What is it? Speaking about Yom Teruah, or what's called the head of the year, Rosh Hashanah. This does not mean that we shouldn't blow the moon, blow the shofar at the new moon. But in particularly, uh, particularly with regard to Psalm 81, I believe it's speaking about Yom Teruah. So there is a commandment. At the very least, the commandment is to blow the shofar at the new moon of, of uh, the head of the year, uh, Rosh Hashanah. However, it could be that we're supposed to blow the shofar every new moon. But how are we determine the new moon? Is that commandment here? Does it tell us how to we, to, whether we are to observe a crescent with the eye? What was Yeshua's practice? What did he do with regard to the calendar? There were dissident sects like the Sadducees and the, and the Essenes during the first century. Dissident sects that had their own little deal. The Sadducees kept one calendar. The Essenes, they went completely off the reservation, uh, keeping a total cel, uh, solar calendar that they did uh, uh, mammoth intercalations uh, in order to keep it in the seasons. But it was a solar calendar and they put all the feast days in, uh, during a week on certain days so that uh, Rosh Hashanah always took place on a Wednesday, etc., uh, did he follow the Essenes? Did he follow the Sadducees, who counted the Omer differently? How did he? What did he do? What did his disciples do? Let's see the scriptures, see what it says. Maybe they can provide an example for us. Did he follow those dissident calendars, or did he follow another calendar? Matthew twenty six seventeen through nineteen says, "Now in the first day." Of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Yeshua, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, to, and he said Go into the city to a certain man and say to them, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Yeshua had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. To prepare the Passover, to eat the Passover, is to eat the lamb. The lamb must be offered in the temple. So what system did they use? They used the temple calendar. 
What is the temple calendar? We have not only the scripture, but we have wonderful historical documents such as Josephus. The temple calendar was the Pharisaic calendar. Luke 2, 41 through 42. The word custom in this passage is the word ethos, which means it is, it is a, an agreement of the people, not a, or a man-made tradition. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover, verse 42. And, he went, and when he was 12 years old, speaking of Yeshua, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom ethos of the feast. Man-made tradition. What is the man-made tradition? The man-made tradition is, how do we determine when the feast is? Well, when is the first of the, of the month of Aviv, of Nisan? Fourteen days later, that should be the Passover. We know the commandment. How do we determine the month? Luke 2, 41. Excuse me, uh, Luke, or excuse me, John 5, 1. And there was a feast of the Jews, and Yeshua went up to Jerusalem. Now this could speak of either Passover or Sukkot. Who is the feast? Who determined the feast? It was the Judeans. Who are the Judeans? The Pharisees. The the Sadducees, uh, serving, uh, mostly coming from the temple, uh, uh, those serving in the temple uh, from the descendants of Aaron. And yet, the calendar, the schedule of the feast was by determined by the Sanhedrin, which was uh, essentially uh, and largely the Pharisaic group. We have the record of what the, what the uh, Sanhedrin determined. John 10, excuse me, John 7:10. But when his brothers, speaking of Yeshua, had gone up, he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. This is Sukkot. When did he go to Sukkot? He went up on the 15th of, of, uh, of, the, uh, of the seventh month. He went up on the, uh, on the 15th of Tishrei. How did he know the 15th? How did he know which month it was? Except that it was the practice of Israel to set the dates, to set the month. John 10, 22 through 23 it was a feast of dedication, that is Hanukkah, and it was winter, and Yeshua walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Here is a, is a complete, uh, as some would call, rabbinic festival that Yeshua is honoring. Acts 18, 18-21. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and uh, Priscilla and Aquila were with him, and he had his hair cut off at, at uh, uh, Sementria. For he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus and, set, and, and left them there. And he, he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay longer, a longer time with him, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must be all, by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed, again from, and he sailed from Ephesus. This is speaking most likely of the, of the Feast of Shavuot. Uh, how did he know how to anticipate that Shavuot was coming up? He was counting the Omer along with all Israel. That's how he knew Shavuot was coming up. What method did he use? He used the method all Israel used. Not his own method, not some obscure method, not some uh, minority method such as, the Sad, uh, such as the Sadducees. He used the same method everybody used because otherwise he wouldn't have been able to sh- celebrate Shavuot. He would have showed up on a different day. Why did Yeshua and his disciples follow the dates used by the Pharisees? Were they endorsing the Pharisees' method? I do not believe so. 
But I believe there's something more important at work and the reason why they followed the method, the temple dates. And it's because I believe that the purpose for the dates was for unity in observance of Hashem's commandments. That's what made the days holy. Not some magical date that if I missed it, I missed a holy day. But rather, an honest attempt as a people, unified, to keep His commandments. Striving and struggling, sure. But deciding that they will keep it together. That's what made the days holy. Those were the days that he set aside. Let's go through our tested tradition questions. Does this tradition, that is determining the dates for holy days, in keeping one commandment obscure a more important commandment? Does this tradition keep determining the dates for holy days turn us away from the commandments? Does this tradition, the dates of holy days, deny Yeshua as Messiah? Does this tradition cause division between Jew and Gentile? Does this tradition, or the rejection of rejecting of this tradition, make us distinct, different from greater Israel? If you can say no to all the above, does this tradition, that is determining the dates for holy days, unnecessarily burden us? Is there another way to keep this commandment in question? In summary, too often Messianics have fallen prey to conspiracy theories about Rabbinic Judaism that denigrate the traditions of the rabbis for one reason or the other, none of which have any basis in fact. Sadly, I believe this trend is a soft form of anti-Semitism. It's not to say that those who uh, who teach the observation or practice the observation of the new moon are anti-Semitic. But the sources for that clearly are men like Anand ben David, the founder of, of Karite Judaism, is a perfect example. Throughout this study, we have attempted to remain somewhat neutral on the traditions we study. I know that in this lesson that I have kept that same neutrality. Although we can't dogmatically promote the tradition of using a calculated calendar, and I don't dogmatically promote that tradition, we most certainly must oppose the idea that there's a conspiracy theory out there. A conspiracy theory that's promoted by some like the Karaites and others, regarding the new moon, and hence all other dates of Hashem's redemptive schedule. It's important to know that the Karaites are not telling people about the history and the scriptures regarding the new moon. There is room for honest debate regarding the dates of holy days. I've had wonderful conversations with people as we study the scriptures and dig deep regarding the, the counting of the Omer and determining the correct way to count the Omer. However, the honest debate should be carried out by a local community, always keeping in mind this one guiding principle. After we look at the scriptures and we agree that the scriptures are not clear, we must say, what is greater Israel doing? 
Because the redemptive promises were not made to individuals. They were made to a greater group. We, as individuals, inherit the promises because we have been grafted in to Israel. Whether we're Jew and Gentile, we've been grafted in to the promises of God. Not as individuals, but to be part of a greater unity. Not splinter groups. We should be so careful to maintain unity with greater Israel. That does not mean that we should compromise on the basis of Scripture. But when there is doubt, when tradition is the question, we should seek diligently to maintain unity with greater Israel. To differentiate ourselves from greater Israel. To be distinct or different. I believe, unless it is on the basis of clear commandments of Scripture, I believe is a grave error and sin. Psalm 81, 3-4 says, Blow the trumpet in the new moon, in the time appointed, in our solemn feast day, this was a statute for Israel and a law of the God of Jacob. The prayer focus for this study was uh, Kadush Lavana. It's the sanctification of the moon. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who with his utterance created the heavens and with the breath of his mouth all their legion. A decree and a schedule did he give them that they now alter their assigned task. They are joyous and glad to perform the will of their owner, the worker of truth, whose work is truth. To the moon he said that it should renew itself as a crown of splendor for those born by him from the womb, those who are destined to renew themselves like it and to glorify their molder in the name of his glorious kingdom. Blessed are you, Adonai, who renews the months. That's from the Art Scroll Siddur. Complete Siddur, page 613. We thank you, O Adonai, our God, that you have established our portion with those who dwell in, in the study hall, and you have not established our portion with idlers. For we arise early, and they arise early. We arise early for words of Torah. They rise early for idle words. We toil, and they toil. We toil and receive a reward. They toil and do not receive a reward. We run, and they run. We run to the life of the world to come, and they run to the pit of destruction. As it is written, and you, O God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days. But as for me, I will trust in you. Shalom.